Thanks for checking out the No Referees podcast, part two of the Damon Williams interview. This is a great, great interview with uh, Mr. Williams. He talks about his entrepreneurial start uh, in Subway and how that segued him to a life of comedy. He also talked about his upcoming show, Laugh Tonight, with Damon Williams on the new app, Urban Flicks TV, how that process started, how he got into his own production of his own show after almost three decades of being in the business. He also talked about his favorite comedians of all time. And, and Mr. Williams also talked about how hip hop and comedy blend together uh, in today's society. So again, sit back and enjoy part two of this interview with Mr. Williams. Hope you have a good time. Peace. Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Uh, like I mentioned uh, earlier, I uh, grew up in Dallas and Tom Joyner, you know, show, Fly Jock. And right. so I was introduced to Damon Williams just for the Tom Joyner situation, you know, uh, okay. on there. So, yeah, maybe before Tom Joyner, I probably didn't know who Damon Williams was. But um, being a guy from Dallas and grew up with, like I said, the Steve Harvey show in Dallas, uh, Tom, Fly hey. Jock, Tom Joyner, you know, that's how I was introduced to Damon Williams. God bless Tom Joyner for all he's done for comedians in general. He's a big fan and advocate for comedians, he plays all over. He played when he was on there. He played comedy bits. He brings everybody on his cruises and family reunions, and he had rotating comedians on the show all the time. If you are playing in Dallas at one of those Alex Improv or the Addison Improv, Tom's show would allow you to come and promote the show. Uh, so he's a big comedy fan and a big advocate and supporter of comedians as well. So I want to ask you about something that's kind of a hot button topic when it comes to comedians and actors. The whole wearing a dress situation you gotta wear a dress to (laughs) you gotta wear a dress to to make it you know so to speak guys like you know kevin hart jamie fox some other guys that you know have quote unquote wore the dress you know just you know have you first of all have you ever been presented with the wear the dress situation and if you have what it was about and what's your thoughts on the whole wearing the dress to make it man that's a a perfect segue because me and tom had this debate all the time he's he firmly believes if you're going to make it in comedy as a black comedian, you got to put on that dress. He's like, your career is here. Put on that dress. You go there. I'm like, dude, I'm not doing it. So the closest I came to any situation like that, um, I used to do skits on the Jimmy Jones show. And they had this one character, which I did do, was called Lil D, but he was like a cherub, um, like a like a tooth fairy or whatever, right? So, but I manned him up. You know what I'm saying? I put on a, um, I had a hoodie under a wife beater. With, with my ball cap to the back, you know what I'm saying? But they still had me in the little the tutu joint, you know what I'm saying? But I had on, you know, boots, so I manned them up. And it was this big. It was miniature, so it was like a cartoon character. I used to sit on her shoulder. I could fly and all type of shit. Then after that, this is when the dress shit came in. I came to the show. So each uh, show episode on Jenny Jones had six segments. So they were so fond of me that they would put me in all type of just scenarios. So on this particular show, they had – six characters that they wanted me to play. So when we came back from commercial, I'd be a different character. Well, the, the, the fifth or the sixth character, they had a, a blonde wig and a mini skirt and a motherfucking halter top. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not, not that. They say, why not? It's funny. You know, it'd be, it'd be totally hilarious. I said, then you do it. And when I told that motherfucker, you do it, I think that was the last couple of weeks I was on the Jenny Jones show. Cause I'm like, I'm not doing that, right? Because first of all, I got a brother who couldn't touch you at the time. And he watched the show and he like, hey man, you know, it's one thing for people laughing, which is another thing when they laugh next. So, you know, don't let them play you, blah, blah, blah. So that's always ringing in my head. Plus I'm a dude. So fast forward, Tom Joyner. We on the cruise, they do this costume nights and they have all these costumes. So I wasn't part of the, the, the core cast. Like I didn't have my own day at this time on show. I ended up getting Fridays as my own day. So I wasn't part of the, the, the cast costuming. But so happened Jackie Reed, who was part of the cast, 
they called the Fluid, she missed the cruise. And they were doing the cast of uh, Boardwalk Empire. That was the theme of the costume. And they had these elaborate costume designers, like to the T. When they did come to America, he was King Joffrey Jory, everything. The, the fur, the thing, you know, the white, the, the, everything. They, they, This guy spends thousands of dollars designing these costumes for costume night. Well, Jackie Reed was supposed to be a flapper. You know, if you know what a flapper is, back in the day at a speakeasy, the girls with the little – with the shimmy dresses and yeah. they'd be dancing with the feathers and the thing around the head and shit, you know, the speakeasy girl. Right. So somebody said, well, Jackie and Damon about the same size. Let's get Damon to do it. And so I came back there and it was like, yeah, we need you to do this. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Like, so plus my father was on the cruise. So Tom, like, that's when he had the conversation. He said, man, every famous comedian is going to dress, man. You here, you want your career to go there. I said, I thought this conversation might be coming from some of the, Jewish man back in the corner somewhere at a dark Hollywood you know, office or something, not from you. He said, well, I'm pretty close to that. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> I said, close enough. But what I didn't know, and I never knew this to this day, that Tom had a senior partner in his company, um, and his name is uh, David Cantor. And David Cantor is like the, the boss of the network because he presented the Tom Joyner Show, blah, blah, blah. So you would think, you know, Tom Joyner Show is Tom Joyner Show. But ABC Network, Dave was that guy, and he was the boss. And I never knew there was a boss over time that had anything to do with how could there be a boss over the time during the morning show and time on the company and all this. So I was ignorant to the fact. So he was back there too. And um, he was like, yeah, you should do it, right? And I, I don't know this dude from Adam. I think he wanted to cruise uh, people that they brought in because we needed a white character, well, he, right? He, he the boss, though. <laughs> yeah, so I'm about to say, who the fuck is this trying to tell me to man? Jay Anthony Brown was like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> Mm-mm. That is the man. <laughs> like, that is YT himself. I'm like, oh, damn, because I'm about to lose my job over the dress. So, what you end up doing? You I, didn't do I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I'm going to tell you who had my back on it. Kathy Hughes, who owns Radio One. Kathy Hughes. So, Tom, after we had this conversation, first of all, it was from a time standpoint, I had to host that show and then go host another show because they have all these multiple events on the, on the time during the cruise. And Tom's son is the president of the company. He needed me to be somewhere else. He said, first of all, he can't even do it because he got to be at the other uh, Studio B or whatever we called it in about 30 minutes. So that, that don't even make sense. I said, I'm not doing it anyway. I had already decided that. So Tom had got a little, had a couple shots patrol. Well, he brought the conversation out to the audience and told the same story. He, you know, I told him his career is here. If you want to go there. And I said, look at man, first of all, my father in the audience, and I'm from Chicago. And Chicago was like, whoa, because you know, Chicago be everywhere, a bunch of Chicago people. And I said, plus Bernie Mac ain't never wear no dress, and I ain't either. So after that, Kathy Hughes herself walked up to me and said, I'm Kathy Hughes. And I'm like, I know who you are. She said, I said, I'm Damon Wins. She said, I know who you are. She said, I was in there, and, and, and you're absolutely right. You're very funny, you're very talented, and you should never have to wear a dress if you don't want to wear it. And when she gave me my you know, thumbs up on that move, I knew at least my job was safe. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I stood, back, I stood back. my ground. Hey, look, you, yeah, yeah, your bag was secure. You, you good. <laughs> right, I'm about to say, if anybody say something, Kathy Hughes said I ain't got to wear no dress. So there. <laughs> One of my friends actually read a story and told, uh, uh, analytics-wise that the guys who wear the dress get paid more money and get the bigger roles, so to speak. You know, so I just wanted to ask, you know, I know that's just a, a, well, a, big, a big hot, a big hot button topic. I tell you one person who said he regretted it and his career fell off after he did that's Brandon T. Jackson. He said right after he did big mamas with Martin Lawrence and he threw on that dress, he said the calls stopped coming the phone stopped ringing. He, he attributed it to that moment where his career changed. Um, I think, if you do it in what context you do it in. Like for Eddie Murphy, Rasputia was a bit much for me. Okay. In Norbit. In Norbit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Norbit. yeah that was a bit much. Funny, funny movie. <laughs> yeah, but now in the clumps, he played multiple characters, including the mother. Right, so right, right. I see that, but just to go ahead and say I'm gonna do this whole movie as a fat woman, you know, that's a lot. Even Martin. Big Mama, Big Mama. Was, a, was a character within the film. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it was an undercover role. That's that's if it's sat- satirical like that, but you know, it's still it's a, it's a, it's how they try to emasculate you 
in Hollywood. I think they feel like until they can, it's a power thing. Until they get you in that dress, you still a rebel. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, power and a kudos to you, my brother, for not putting on that dress, never putting on that dress. Because, uh, right. you know, you've done some great things and continue to do some great things. And we're going to talk about some of those great things that, you're, that you got going on uh, and some upcoming things uh, here in one moment. But I just got to ask you one thing about Eat Fresh, Subway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you're eating a sandwich right now. And, and it's, it's not a chicken teriyaki sandwich. Right, which is so bogus. <laughs> I've never ate a sandwich on a podcast. So hey, hey, bro, we fat. Hey, we, hey, look, you know, my mom and dad always tell me when you break bread with somebody, you like family. So now we family. So <laughs> I family. Uh, <laughs> now we family. So tell, I want to just get some, some inside on just uh, the, the business aspect of, you know, the franchise, the subway, how that situation went down with you, and what you learned from it. Well, Subway was advantageous to me in a lot of ways because if I'm going to be 100% honest, Subway was my transition from a life of crime into legitimacy. So I basically took ill-gotten gains and proceeds and, and washed it through opening a franchise, which was my intent. You know, I was selling this and that in the streets, a little weed, a little extra things, a couple of things. I ain't going to go too deep in it. Um, <laughs> But, you know, my, even my father had a conversation with me because he knew I was popping up with too much merch. You know, I had three or four cars and I had a job the whole time. You know, I worked at City Hall the whole time, but I was still had my, you know, my hustle. And um, he said, you need to find a way to maintain your lifestyle without jeopardizing your freedom. And that rung real deep. But I always had a purpose. I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I wanted to get on my own business. And the only shortcut I saw was side hustle. You go to work every day, get your paycheck for 40 hours. It's hard to invest that into something and still keep your lights on and such. So no justification, just my route. That's what I took. So kids out there, you know, don't do what I did, but do what I did. Um, so I took that and I, I, I researched franchise. I was on a flight and I was uh, looking at Black Enterprise Magazine. To this day, Earl Graves Jr., who was the publisher just passed recently, um, that, that magazine, that flight changed my life because I wanted to do a franchise and I had a situation where I was going to do a local franchise in Chicago called Solomon's Fisheries, which is a, uh, was owned by Seal Johnson, who was Selena Johnson, the singer. He's her dad and he was a blues singer. Mm. Um, he made a song called Fine Brown Frame, if y'all want to get a reference. But anyway, he had these, um, you know, it was like a clean living fish thing situation where it was fried fish, but it was like, you know, with fresh ingredients, blah, blah, blah. And I was, I was really hell-bent on that because I was trying to get a Harold's. Harold's wasn't taking new franchises. So I found Solomon's. But then when I got through the whole process, I took a leave of absence from my job, um, found the location, had met with Seal about getting a franchise, went to get the lease for the location in Hyde Park, Chicago, and they uh, vetoed the lease because they found out we had fryers. And they didn't want it for insurance purposes. They didn't want deep fryers in the building. They didn't want the smell. They didn't want the fish. They didn't want my black ass. Um, and that's really what it turned down to. Uh, let's be honest about it. So um, I w went back to work. That was in September. Went back to work for another cycle. And then the spring came around. I had found Subway. And it was like the top 40 franchises for blacks. And it was like the, with uh, low startup costs and blah, blah, blah. They had done all the research and laid it out. I had never heard of Subway. So I researched it. I applied. And uh, they accepted my offer to be a franchisee, sent me out for training. And at that time, you could your franchise fee was only 7500 bucks. Then you had to have another 40, you have to show assets or cash liquidity, liquidity of 40000 for the build out of the store. But fortunately for me, I was in a food court, so I didn't have to build the whole store. I just had a counter space downtown Chicago, so it was even less to build the store. So I was in downtown, but the subway was so new that – this was before Jared. Uh, in Chicago, as we talked about food, you know, our food is abundant. You get a sandwich, that month is like this. You get a corned beef sandwich, it's this thick. Right. You know, so we put that little, that little, <laughs> that, came out the, that little wax paper, a little skimmer of meat. And even my homies was like, man, I want to support I you, man. But there ain't no meat on here. I mean, double portion, triple portion. Yeah, we, you know, you can't tell me extra for a sandwich that ain't got no meat on it already. So... I was in heavy competition with Mr. Submarine directly across the street. Then a place called Fantano Subs, 
This is on Lake and Wabash downtown. They came down right down the street. I was right across the street from here at Washington College, which should have been a, a magical, you know, place. But they went to Saigon and the Fantanos, and they was having student discounts and big old sandwiches. And, man, I was losing money like a mug. So the good thing that came of that, though, is that's where I met my son's mother. She worked across the street, so that's how my son was born. And that's why I heard about All Jokes Aside, the comedy club, because based on some customers that were subway customers, they were talking about open mic. And, and right as my business was starting to fail, I heard about All Jokes Aside, and I went over there and did the open mic, and that's how I got into comedy. The Simple Pour is a beverage concierge service specializing in creating flavorful crafted punches for all of your events and needs. From their house favorites to the custom creations, they have a beverage that's going to satisfy every taste bud you have. Certified mixologist Kevin Barber literally pours his heart into each beverage. You have the individual 12-ounce bottles, or if you want to step it up to the big boy gallon. Some of the heavy hitters on the menu include To Kill Your Blues with that fresh citrus, fan favorite Green Goblin, and my favorite Henny Punch. No Referees Podcast and a simple pour have mixed up a new drink for you. Enjoy 15% off your entire purchase by logging on to the website, thesimplepourhtx.com. Enter promo code NOREFEREES15 at the time of checkout. The Simple Pour. Simple name, extraordinary taste. Wow. Man, that's a lot to unpack right there. You know, uh, you're, 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 you're getting into comedy. Your the chicken teriyaki sub was, wasn't wasn't hitting. <laughs> Wait. It didn't even exist. And it, oh, okay, I know. And my favorite thing about Subway is is the damn chocolate chip cookie. You know what I'm saying? That, that's the only reason why I go to Subway, to be honest. Let me tell you, man, the cookies, and I don't know if they still bake their own bread. I don't know if they do that on, on premise. But whenever business was slow, I tell them to put on a rack of cookies and two two loaves of bread. We didn't need to bake a whole, but that bread smell and them cookies smell through there. I was in the office building. They'll come running down like mice. It was like, yep. <laughs> put, in, put, on, put on some bread. We can get slow around here. <laughs> what, what, uh, what was like the, I know they say nowadays, franchise, the, the, the number one franchise of Chick-fil-A. Um, nowadays, according to some studies, if you had to, to go all over again, or to nowadays get involved with another franchise and be a franchisee, what, 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 where would you do? What would you do? Mm. Um, Chipotle is good. I like Chipotle because of the setup and the, the method. See, the, the key to a franchise of fast food is having a food fast, but having good food fast. And so Chipotle is one. I think Subway is, is up there in the numbers as far as location. The one I wouldn't do right now, because he just donated $400,000 to Trump, is Wendy's. Put that out there. Ha-ha. <laughs> um, but I like Chick-fil-A, but, you know, it, it had to be something with a healthier aspect. So I think, I think Chipotle has vegetables. And, you know, when you get you a bowl, a burrito bowl, you can get some vegetation in there uh, with people's tending to people's diets tending to lend to more healthy situations will have to be something healthy. Yeah, I know, I know uh, one of my coworkers is a uh, vegetarian and they have like the uh, vegetarian bowl, the Chipotle. Uh, and the guac and chip. Yeah, all that. Like yeah. my wife, when she goes, she don't get meat. She gets, you know, a veggie bowl and, you know, it's, it's beautiful to her, but it's like, you know, it's like having a taco and your meat fell off. <laughs> But what no damn taco wants the meat fell off, you know what I'm saying? That's like a taco is taco. taco. <laughs> that might be a that might be a nacho right there. Nacho. Yeah. <laughs> hey, put that like, a little, like a little meat with the nacho. <laughs> right. Put that in the joke book for the next go around. <laughs> so speaking of joke, but bro, we're gonna get into some stuff that you got going on now. Um, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, your introduction, you know, uh, Damon Williams production, um, is, uh, on and popping right now, uh, Urban Flicks TV, the app, uh, Laugh Tonight with Damon Williams. Uh, funny show. Uh, I love the setup. I love how you come out there. You got your DJ. Um, I will ask you a question about that in a second. Uh, but I love the fact you're getting the young comics, you know, a, a chance to come out there and kind of show their stuff. Talk to the people about, uh, Urban Flicks TV. 
how that came about, um, how your, your show came about, things of that nature. Well, um, I actually can almost thank Subway for this show, too, in a, in, in a roundabout way, and I'll tell you how in a moment. But uh, Laugh Tonight with David Williams is it's a stand-up platform, but the difference from most stand-up shows that we've had in the past, like Comic View and Def Jam and P. Diddy, is the interview process, you know, the segment. We sit down, we delve into the comics' life, and they kept snippets of the best parts of the interviews where, you know, you get to know who this comedian is prior to you seeing his comedy. And I think that's important because a lot of times guys are telling their story. And, you know, if you feel like a, a greater sense of that person, then you can relate to the joke more. That I'm proud of. And that was the element that I insisted upon. In fact, in the second season, because this first season we got kind of rushed. And uh, luckily we just got it wrapped right the first week of February because it was right before the whole shutdown happened. Um, so there was supposed to be an additional element where I was going to interview uh, A-list comedians. I had lined up. Cedric the Entertainer, these are commitments that people say, yes, Sid, uh, Tiffany Haddish, uh, J.B. Smooth, D-Ray, Dion, which was his idea, uh, because a lot of those guys have Netflix deals, so they couldn't do the actual stand-up on my show, but they agreed to do the interviews. Um, so I was going to do stuff like that as an additional element. So after the end of the three comedians that you saw with their interviews, there'd be a, a five-minute chat with Sid or a five-minute chat with J.B. Smooth. Uh, so when we do season two, hopefully we'll get that element shot. The, the beauty of it is, even before I had a platform of my own, I was kind of a conduit from Chicago to Comic View. Because once I won my uh, competition back in the day, Comic View back in the day used to be a competition, They had I had a relationship with them. And so I started doing a joint audition with all the Chicago comedians so that they could all see one tape versus them going through all the tapes that get sent in. And this was the Chicago tape. And that would lead to 25, 30 comedians per season making it on Comic View. So I gave a lot of cats their first television exposure, including uh, D-Ray Davis, who was one of my, my proudest protégés, so to speak. And he is uh, actually the mentor to Lil Rail. Uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's the class after him. A lot of my friends and family say me and Lil Rail look alike. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can see it. Yep, yep. <laughs> you just have the same laugh and it'd be crazy. So anyway, um, long story longer, um, the Urban Flix Network approached me because I had a personal relationship with one of the executives. Well, the, the, the primary guy, the money guy, the executive producer, Herb Kimball, he is my, my son's mother's cousin. So he is my ex-wife's cousin. Uh, her brother uh, and I are real close, and he kept trying to relate to me that, you know, he got a cousin, Herb, and Herb trying to do a movie. Herb's whole idea, he wanted to do a movie. He had an idea for a movie with Cat Williams. And he didn't want to do this movie unless Cat Williams was in it. And he kept saying, do you have a connection to Cat? And this was right when, a few years back, when Cat was, you know, going through them episodes. I mean, not when he fought the little boy. I'm talking about back when he was showing up high at the shows and, you know, blacking out on stage and going yeah. and getting arrested every other week. And right. no disrespect to Cat because he, he a genius and he a genuine dude, man. Much love to him. But he had went through what we publicly saw him going through. So it was no reaching Cat. You know, I, I, I had people that was in his camp, then they wouldn't be in his camp. When they was working for him, now they're not working for him. So I didn't have a direct contact. So I never even approached him with it. Plus, I felt like, dude, you ain't got no... Cat Williams with script money. You know, God, with that book, right? I was so wrong. Um, so fast forward. Now, not only does he want to do a movie, he want to do original films and TV series, including a stand-up show. So they actually approached me because one of the basketball wives was supposed to be the host of this comedy show, and they had a treatment written up for it and everything. But she didn't want to do her, her character. She has a character she does. I'll leave it at that. And so she didn't want to do the character, and she was being too busy, I'll put it that way, to get back with them in a timely fashion. They was ready to roll. So I was already going to be a consultant on that show to help them find the comedians, and I was going to have a position in that situation. And, of course, I probably would have taped as one of the comedians. So when that was falling through, he said, man, you got any ideas for shows? I'm like, yeah, mine. You know, so let's do I had the title, I had the premise, I had the, the, the interview process, and then my point of doing the celebrity interviews uh, was not only to give more notoriety to the show and, and bring their followers in, but also the fact that I know a lot of major comedians know that their content, their stand-up is worth too much money to be on my little show. 
You know what I'm saying? When you got a Netflix deal, you could do a special. They, that's what they was giving out, you know, the 20 million for Chris and the 20 million Chappelle. So everybody thinking they at least going to get uh, the little 500,000 Monique offer. Right. The Monique offer, huh? <laughs> yeah, at least get the Monique money. You know, I ain't got nothing. So I feel like the happy medium was you get in advertising, I can still say, you know, this show will feature Sims Entertainment. This show will feature this other person because they would, in fact, as a favor to me, be on the show. So that was going to help with the marketing of it. Um, this network, Urban Flix, has just launched May 1st, and they launched without even all the shows ready. Like, our show wasn't even ready because the network is so new, but they wanted to get it out. So it gave me a chance. And when I tell you the process from going to have this meeting with them, that conversation first, which happened when I was in Martha's Vineyard doing our comedy festival, uh, martha'svineyardcomedyfest.com. We'll be back next year. It had to be canceled this August because of COVID. Um, that's when I got the call. So we look at August, and then I had the first meeting until September. Then we didn't. We were going to do it in Chicago. I wanted to do it at Riddles, my home comedy club, and it was all set up for that. We had a shoot date. We had sit blocked off. We was going to do it, and then they decided they wanted to move it to L.A. So now we have to move to L.A. So it went from a phone call in August to shooting it the last week of January. That's how long the process took. Meetings, flights back and forth, conversations, the casting process. And I want to say this to any comedian that happens to see this, I probably had your name on the list because I had about 200 people, you know, but they had specific criteria they wanted to meet. Um, and that's, like I said, some of my, my friends who are already established, well, like, you know, I got a deal or I'm hoping to get a deal and I'll, you know, I'll come do the interview, but I won't do the stand-up. So the process was mind-boggling. Then they wanted to be multicultural. Now, when you hear Urban Flix, Urban Flix TV, you think Black Netflix. That's what everybody says. So what, it's the Black Netflix? No. Urban Flix, their, th their tagline is redefining urban, which means it's multicultural. So now I got to have... Uh, different facets of life. I got to have people from all walks of life, whites, blacks, Hispanics. I have Eastern Europeans. They wanted uh, little people. They wanted representation from the little people community. They wanted LGBTQ. They wanted transgender. Um, so, you know, you have to go through all of these hoops to get down to these 24 communities that I got to. And I fought to have it in Chicago, but I lost that battle. I would have had more of my Chicago comedians, but I do have at least eight or nine Chicago comics on the lineup as well. So those of you who didn't get it this round, there will be a season two, according to Herb, and I'm putting you on record, Herb. Uh, when we wrap the first season, they like, they love it, and we're doing season two, so there'll be more people. I just didn't get to them. And I'm, I'm proud of the list that we got, because some of these cats, uh, ladies and gentlemen, have never been on a, a, on a production like this. You know, they've never been filmed by a professional crew that can go out on a platform, you know, we don't have Comic View anymore. We don't have Def Jam anymore. We don't have Comedy Central because they don't, you know, there's no stand-up show that we could do uh, at the time. But I think they might be running more stand-up now, too. So I'm really proud that this is going to introduce you to a new wave of comedians and the diversity of it and the different types of humor is going to be great. Get the app. It's a seven-day free trial whenever you sign up. It's urbanflix.tv. Yeah, urbanflix.tv on Instagram and everything else you look for. And look for the clips. Get somebody. Hey, and then go ahead and do it and share your login like y'all did Netflix when it first came out. You know, run that boy. I need people to see it. You know, you can subscribe later. But there's other series on there, man. Uh, Marcus Houston got one called uh, uh, Howard High. Um, the... Ray J and Michael J. White have a series called Pump. There's some original films, and then there's, uh, you know, acquired content. So it's it's not just my show. It's a full-fledged network just launched. Get that Urban Flicks, man. Yeah, and, hey, look, it's only $4.99 a month. You know, y'all boys, y'all spend more than that at, at, at Wendy's and Chipotle, like you said. Yeah, you go to Chipotle and get a meatless taco for <laughs> A meatless nacho. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to ask you just about the casting process, like you said, because uh, one of the gentlemen uh, on the show is from Hawaii. Um, and I just want to ask, like, behind the scenes, like, I want to know because, like, like American Idol, you see, like, the different things they bring the people in, do the cast in front of the, the – and then they, you know, move them on. Now, what right. is the casting – what was the casting process like for you being behind the scenes, having to pick these certain comedians? Well, I, I, we, what we did is, like, we started out, man, like I said, with over 200. Because I did my own list, my master. I'm like, these are the people. And what I did for that to have diversity, because I don't know all the comedians out there. And I don't know a lot of mainstream uh, contemporary comedians or white comedians or people that are not in my genre uh, or that are not in my, my traveling circle uh, circuit. 
so I went on um, I went online. I started looking people up. You know, I looked a lot at the, um, the Laugh Factory. Hollywood Laugh Factory has a lot of comedian, a lot of com comic uh, content. So you should check that out. And I and I just saw people who had a lot of hits and who had you know that that energy and that swag. So I, I had my whole list. Plus, I know so many comedians. So so many people that I really wish could have got on. A lot of my good friends are not on this show yet. Um, so what I did is I submitted them all. And then they said, we got to pare this down. Then they got to pare down from the pare down to the actual the, the pockets, you know, the different categories, the pigeonholes that they had to fit. So when we got to that process, me and um, my girl Phaedra uh, from casting and Natasha, it was about three of us that had to come up with our own final 24. And of the three of us of our own final 24, they basically tried to narrow it down to each one of us gets eight. That's how we got to the 24 comedians. Well, I had eight or nine Chicago comedians. I ain't even filled in the other diversity. I got to get my people in there first. So I probably was personally responsible for selecting of the 24 that got on there, 20. <laughs> but I still didn't get 180 of my other choices. You know what I mean? So there's only like five or six people that I didn't even know of that you know they suggested or they insisted that they wanted to get in. So everybody had their favorite where they was like, this is my, so then we had like our, our three or four must-haves, you know, and of those we had to compare. And a couple of the must-haves that they had didn't make the cut because we looked at that tape and it was based on that one tape. We didn't look further than that tape. If that tape didn't speak for you at that particular time when we was under the gun, then you know, you, we'll see you next year because your shit have to be, what you had posted online is very important, people. Be selective of what you allow to be on online. For one, your content is valuable. So what will happen is if a network decides they want to book you for something, if it's in eight different sites online, then we figure it's been seen already. So we're not bringing something to the public they haven't already seen. Secondly, you want to maintain your content and your audio even more so because you can uh, upload your audio. You can create your own comedy album, submit that album to Spotify and all the other streaming services, you know, Tidal, uh, iTunes, and get revenue from that from a place called Sound Exchange. So even if you can't get a professional setup to come out with a camera, you should always capture the audio of your sets because you might have that magical hour that might be your album one day and you missed it because you didn't record it. So I, I keep my, my, my voice memo on my phone every show and I got the same show probably 900 times between all my phones but it might be one moment in there that I could pull from that or, or five minutes that I could pull from that and you have an archive and you can make you some revenue because we found out now from this COVID situation if they close all the clubs and there's no live entertainment you need another revenue stream so if you got albums up and you know Red Fox still earning money for his estate from his albums, you know what I mean? That's how far back that goes because they plan it. So that's just a little tidbit. But it's also important that you don't overexpose yourself online because, like I said, you're giving away your content. And secondly, nobody's going to pick you. But be selective. Pick. Sometimes you don't want to put your best out there, but your best might be the only opportunity people have to see you, and you just should be able to come up with better or more good moments like that but you need what's online to be something that's definitive or what describes what you do so because what what people do and I, I don't understand why they do it people will go online when they see you coming to a comedy club they go to youtube and see your jokes they will see what kind of jokes you got well why are you gonna sit there and watch 15 20 minutes of my set and to come to the show and then leave well i had seen that one on youtube because you watched it if you ain't never seen me before why would you want to spoil your surprise and think that every comedian going to have a whole new hour of jokes? No, that's not how comedy works. We write an hour worth of material. That material circulates the country. For me personally, it'll go around at least two years, twice. So if you come see me in, say, June of this year, by June of next year, when I come back to your city, I'm probably still using 30% of that show. You know what I mean? I might have 70% new material, or I might freestyle you know, 10, 15% of that time. But I still got my, my core base because everybody ain't seen it yet. But, but if you sit there and watch it, now you have ruined the whole situation. It ain't like going to a Maze concert or going to see, you know, uh, Drake and you already know his songs. You know, this is jokes. You need to surprise elements. So stop doing that. Don't go watch somebody's whole shit and then wonder why you know their whole shit because you watched it.
Let me take a time out to tell you about my friends over at Soul Lounge, Houston's premier boutique for the latest fashions. Chinatown Market? Check. BBC? You know they got all that. You know Adidas? Man, they got all of that stuff too. The swag, the footwear, Yeezys, man, they got everything. No Referees Podcast and Soul Lounge is partnered up to bring you a special offer for listening to this episode. Go online to soullounge.htx.com and enter promo code No Rules to get 20% off your entire purchase. That's No Rules, all one word, all caps. Soul Lounge. Live what you love. That's hey, man, how long are we, we going to be on? Because I, I know we, we uh, don't these things have a limit? No, nah, nah, ain't got no limit. Got limited Zoom? Yeah, limited Zoom. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> limited Zoom. Man, yeah, but no, how do you think this is a podcast? <laughs> I think your ass was just under quarantine and you got tired of being in the house by yourself. Nah, this is a talk. This a talk that's why talk, I'm able talk. to do it. A talk cast. That's why, yeah, that's why I'm able to do it because I'm in the same condition. You know? There ain't nobody here but me and my wife. I called my son and his, and his, his fiance was coming back today. I was about to have company for the first time in three months. Hey, but hey, but you got, got caught up in but look, if this caught up you, if, activism. If you if your son come by, you know, like you sell your show, you get you and your wife. Y'all gotta walk around like me, like mimes. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta do it again. Yeah, you gotta you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, you know, you make sure they leg day. <laughs> hey man, I sure appreciate these gems you dropping. He is hitting y'all with little pieces from the lab tonight. Some of the uh, shows and jokes that I told. So make sure those people go out, get this app, man. For for one to support the app, it is a black owned network, even though it's not all black content. That's not the point of it. Uh, but we need it to thrive because I want him to succeed, whether it's with my show or, or the other things that he's trying to do. Because he gave me my shot. Herb Kimball gave me my shot. Um, and I want to thank him for that publicly, along with his his cousin, my my, my little brother in law, uh, Henry Barton. Uh, thank y'all for giving me that this opportunity because I've been in this thing for 27 years, man. And I, you know, a lot of my contemporaries have come and gone and you know, done major things and all that. And I'm cool where I am. You know, I'm, I'm happy with my journey, but you still want to get a hit every once in a while. You know what I'm saying? So I've been patient. The Lord knows. I don't know what what my test was for. But I have been the job of comedy waiting <laughs> on my shot. And Urban Flix TV gave it to me. So please subscribe and show them that it was worth the wait and that you are craving some comedy. Plus, the way the world is right now, you need to laugh. I don't give a damn if they would show this in 2022. You need more laughter in your life. Laugh relieves stress. It reduces stress and, and tension in your body. It releases endorphins. It's medicine. So get you some laugh tonight with David Williams and see these comedians in season one so I can have a season two. <laughs> like like, like, like Mr. Williams said, man, you got to laugh every chance you get, you know. Yes. Man? So uh, I want I want to I talk about one thing on your show, your DJ. You know, me coming up, um, you know, we had uh, Martin Lawrence with Def Jam and King Capri. You know, mm-hmm. you, you know, what is it about having that DJ to get you in the right frame of mind when you come out and uh, come out into a show? Well, that's that show, Deaf Comedy Jam, revolutionized comedy in so many ways. First of all, hands down, flat out, Martin Lawrence is, is the best television comedy host in the history of comedy. Oh, that, that, that question, I got that next too. Who's, the, who's your yeah. favorite comedian? But go ahead. <laughs> what he did for with Def Jam when he would come out and roast celebrities and, you know, talk real, real, you know, humor from like the hood, you know, how it's supposed to be. That man stood there and he delivered. If it weren't for Martin Lawrence, that show might not have been the hit that it was, I believe. Um, but Kid Capri was another element. It brought the hip hop edge to comedy. Before that, if you ever saw comedy on TV, which we didn't see many black comedians on TV nowhere except for late night talk shows, and that means you was on you know, the late Arsenio, night with Johnny Carson. Or Arsenio Hall. Arsenio didn't do enough comedians, in my opinion. I don't remember seeing a whole lot of comedians do stand-up. Only one I can even think of that actually did stand-up, I think Bernie Mac did a set on there. But even then, you came out to a band, you know, you know, when Dev Jam came out and it was, you know, bum, 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 dun, 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 you know, that started it off. You know, now the crowd pump, 
and comedy clubs around the country adapted that situation. The DJ on our show, DJ Dollar Bill, and that's Dollar Bill, that's D-O-L-L-A underscore Bill. He got two underscores in there, but look up DJ Dollar Bill. Has been my DJ for about 24 years. So I could not do that show without bringing my DJ with me because he, just like Def Jam, I said, revolutionized comedy, he transformed this show I used to do at this mainstream is what we call the white comedy club. Mainstream comedy club. They gave me Sunday night after their regular show to have a you know an urban show as they used to call it. And until that DJ came, man, it was still kind of corny. But Dollar Bill turned that place around, man. So the DJ element, unfortunately, on broadcast television, unless you pay for licensing, you can't play the actual song. So the funny thing is, you look at somebody special, and they'll come out unless they spent that bread. They'll come out and you be like, yeah, and they'll say something about the song. You like that? Ain't what he was. That ain't that wasn't that. I don't know what he's doing all this for. It ain't even on this beat. So what happened is they'll play the real song to the audience, and then they'll dub over it with a generic track because they don't want to pay for the, the license. But music is integral for us when it comes to everything we do. So in comedy, it's no different. Wow, I mean, that's that's. Yeah, great. I'm on my second course now, man. I'm doing orange <laughs> We almost. Hey, look, I got two more things to hit with you, brother. I didn't know it was gonna be this long. I mean, when you get when you breaking bread with somebody, it's like yeah, the, 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 the time just go by to go by, you know. So long as long as I ain't starving or I ain't gotta go to the toilet, we good. So <laughs> hey, we hey, we don't want, we don't want the you go get the insurance papers out. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so another another one of my punchlines. <laughs> so I want to ask you know you mentioned gems. You, you mentioned um, uh, Herb Kimball giving you the, the shot and uh, um, move up in his ranks. Say look up Chicago people hogging horns and stuff out there in the street. <laughs> uh, talk about uh, you, you got an upcoming movie coming out. Uh, white people money. You know talk about right. you know, uh, how that movie role came about for you. Um, and, and you know what you what you learn in that process. Well, it's an independent film. Um, Mark Harris films. Mark Harris is a Chicago filmmaker. He gave me one of my very first early cameos in a movie. Uh, movie's called "I Used to Love Her," and I'm in the opening scene. I play a, a cheating boyfriend who got caught. My girl come home. I got somebody in the house, and she busts in, and then she storm out, and that starts the movie. Um, he came back and got me for this one. This film. Uh, white people money is about um, a rich benefactor uh, without giving it away made a couple rich and then all the things that people have to go through like if you hit the lottery so to speak you know especially if you're black and how people get at you trying to get money but it's like a billion dollars so it's like white people money and we ain't just rich we got white people money so <laughs> he um, he gave me that role man he had a role in mind for me and he just gave it to me that's the thing um, my acting career would have been further along much sooner had I been a good person that auditioned, but I have an anxiety about auditioning. Still to this day, I still suffer with that at times. It's much less now, but so I, I've blown a couple of opportunities to be in movies. I didn't audition well. well, well what, what, somebody, what, what movie? Give me a, give me a movie that, that you like, damn, I, I could have been on that. Give me that movie. Uh, Barbershop One, uh, Roll Bounce. These are movies that just were filmed in Chicago. And there was another... Uh, Oh, and the series Soul Food. They didn't wow. give me an audition, but the casting director had me come in, and she just said the part she had me in mind for. Let me tell you, this is really funny, too. Uh, she said they were looking for somebody with more of an edge and, and presented more danger, right? Now, I done told you my history, my story, and I come from the streets, and I sold these things, and I got a bullet in my leg, and, you know, I'm from Chicago, but I didn't get the part. But back then, I, I, I was a little bit lighter as far as weight-wise, so I wasn't intimidating. I'm already not tall. But I was skinnier, I say. So she said he has an aura about him, and I like him, but he's not good for this role. We look for somebody with a little more edge, a little more danger. But it turns out that role was Lim on the series Soul Food, and they gave it to Darren Henson. Now, Darren Henson, if you don't know who he is, right after Soul Food, he got this part as this tough guy came out with Darren's Dance Grooves. <laughs> I got out gangster uh, dance instructor. <laughs> oh wow! That's and no, crazy. no diss, no diss to Darren. You know he he buffed out. You know, but he, he, ain't, he ain't no gangster. He ain't no thug. You know what I'm saying? He a dancer. So basically, it was that cast director's fault for not knowing your real history. See, asked the right questions, man. Right. I should have came back with a hood on. 
with a mask and robbed the ass. And then when I gave my money back to the the hoods, I'm like, see, now it all feel dangerous. <laughs> That's funny, man. <laughs> so talk so, about <laughs> so talk about uh, uh, the, the 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 radio show you do in Cleveland. You know, Tuesdays and Thursdays. You know, now you're doing everything remote. Everything. Yeah. Talk, talk about that. How to get a how to how to start that thing. That's the Chicago guy, Sam Silk, uh, W-Z-A-K, Z like zebra, W-Z-A-K in Cleveland. Uh, you can go to W-Z-A-K-Cleveland.com to hear his show live. Sam Silk, he's on um, from, I guess, in, in uh, I guess it's 2 to 6 uh, Eastern time, 2 to 6 Eastern. So it's, it's, it's middays, afternoon drive, I should say. And Sam is a Chicago guy, and he went to Cleveland and made a name for himself, and he got a couple of uh, franchise restaurants out there, Sam Silk's Chicken and Fish. Um, and so he just hit me up like, dude, I know you're done with Tom Joyner, but if you're not affiliated with any other, you know, contract exclusivity, would you do this feature on my show? I was like, well, what you want me to do? Like, you know, whatever you want to come up with. So I had a feature on Tom Joyner. It's called That's What I Think. And so I don't know if they have proprietary ownership of that title. So I didn't even name it that. I just called it Damon What You Think. So it's my opportunity to, to riff about the day's top stories or whatever's on my mind. And I do it every Tuesday and Thursday, 2.15 Eastern. Like I said, you can hear it live, WZAKCleveland.com. But I love doing radio. I loved my exposure with Tom Joyner. Before Tom Joyner, I was uh, the local broadcast guy for Doug Banks. May he rest in peace on his uh, 106 and Jams afternoon show. And it was nationally syndicated. Um, and I think radio is very beneficial to comedians because it's still a way to attach an audience. Like you said, you became familiar with me the time joining the show and that's for me having that exposure on radio a lot of people who didn't see me for years after comic view or Pete diddy was wondering if i was still doing it then i started jumping on time they're like oh yeah he's still around i had never stopped i just was doing the college market but you know out of sight out of mind so that re-established my relationship with, uh, with my comedy audience and that's how i was able to get into those comedy clubs and chains and such now you asked me about my favorite comedian because you know if you don't wrap this up i am in a minute um, yeah, that was, that was about to be wrap it up after after this. Actually, <laughs> I'm messing with you. It's hard to pick a favorite, but I can tell you, during the quarantine, I've been doing uh, some mashups where I was doing comedy battles. After they had the music battles, I was like, "Well, we should do some comedy battles." So the first two I did was um, Richard Pryor, Rhea Fox, and Chappelle, Chris Rock. But in doing that, I had to go through a lot of clips to see which ones I wanted to use. And I already knew this coming up as a child, that Richard Pryor is the greatest. But it reestablished my relationship with his humor. Richard Pryor will always be my favorite comedian. He'll always be the best comedian. If you, if you want to say of all time, I'm, that's my vote. I think Eddie Murphy's more talented because he did impressions and he had swag and this and that and the other. So he's my second. He was my influence. He's the reason why I'm doing stand-up because I saw Delirious and I just fell in love with the art form, and that's when I decided I wanted to do it. He had a big influence on my early comedy, my mannerisms, a lot of that. So shout out to Eddie Murphy. I still haven't met him yet, not personally. Um, but I think we don't have enough footage on Eddie. You know, he got two specials, if you think about it. He got a lot of skits, you know, Saturday Night Live, but he only got two specials. The Richard Pryor got, I got a box set of CDs with Richard Pryor, and, and Ray Fox got even more than that. The Richard Pryor and Red Fox both started out doing clean comedy. There's, there's uh, examples of them being super corny, you know, like trying to be on the Ed Sullivan show and back in the day, the Johnny Carson, that type of comedy. Um, Eddie too. Um, but Richard Pryor was the, the most creative, the most uh, honest, and the most socially active comedian. Dick Gregory is another great that filled that lane. But Richard Pryor is my favorite comedian because he's the greatest. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of, of Richard Pryor because uh, one of the very first movies I ever watched back in the day was Toys um, uh, that he that he starred in, and obviously Harlem Nights. You know, for me, I'm I'm in my late 30s, so yeah, I didn't I'm really, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, you know, I didn't really, you know, before those days, uh, you know, me being, you know, in 1990. I'm gonna need you to do one thing, and I have to cut you off even before you talk about damn toys. Uh, <laughs> you need to watch Which Way Is Up. Richard Pryor played three characters in that movie, way before Eddie Murphy. He played himself, he played his main character, he played a preacher, he played an old man. Um, and it's hilarious. 
All and right. before that, he was in Car Wash. Uh, he was in Lady Sings the Blues with Diana Ross. So he got a lot of diversity. Bingo Long, Traveling All Stars, and of course the Wiz. So I've go, seen that. Get, <laughs> go get go get which way is up, man. You go if you have you ever seen it? No, I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. You'll be a fan. Thank you oh, for it. I want, hear, I want to hear about it. So did did Eddie Murphy do like the 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 person the different characters like coming to America and tr- and trading places because of Richard Pryor had did it, did it prior? No, I think that was his natural talent because he did skits. You know, he came from Saturday Night Live, so he already mm-hmm. had the the training for it. Um, plus, he's so multi talented that he he had to do more than one character. You know, Richard Pryor was all over the place. I just want to thank you for coming on No Referees Podcast, sharing all those great stories. Man, that was a lot of gems right there, man. I appreciate you taking some time out. Uh, I apologize. Yeah, been, I, my wife said that was, that was very long. <laughs> my wife said that was very long. Yeah, but what sorry. I'm to do is my memory been been fading anyway, so I get to watch this one day and remember some shit about myself that I forgot about me. <laughs> put, put it on. Put it on long. Put it on repeat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody out there, please go follow Mr. Mr. Williams' IG page at Damon Williams Comedy. Follow his Twitter page at Damon Williams. Please go check out Urban Flix TV, host, host a Laugh Tonight with Damon Williams, a Damon Williams production. That's our Chicago native, Windy City's finest, Damon Williams. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, man. I started at lunch, and I think I'll be doing breakfast by the time we end this. But thanks for doing your homework, man. You was prepared. You you know, you looked into my, my history and things like that. And there's nothing better than what you did when you, you know, be prepared for an interview like this. Thank you for the time, and thanks for putting it on your podcast. I'm going to tell everybody. <laughs> thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Bet. Thanks for checking out part two of the Damien Williams interview. So funny and so cool to get all those inside stories about entrepreneurship, how he segued into life of comedy, this new app, Urban Flicks TV, his new show, Laugh Tonight with Damon Williams. Thanks for checking out the No Referees podcast. Peace. Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. Till the next episode, we out.